Welcome to another episode of the Niners Nation podcast. I have a special guest, actually a celebrity here with me. You've you've definitely heard of him before. Uh, Jason Aponte. How are you doing, friend? A celebrity? Get out of here, Leo. No, honestly, this is a celebrity. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just a guy, uh, just a podcaster, okay? And that's what I'm doing here, and that's why you called me. So <laughs> I I appreciate the invite, though. I, I always love, uh, you know, hooking up with any of you guys on here, whether that's Rob, you know, Levin, any of you guys, KP, Akash. So excited to be here. I learned something about New Jersey today. I, mm-hmm. I've personally never been there. I, I plan to be in the area actually for my birthday weekend next year. So you obviously know we linking up when that happens. And mm-hmm. when we link up, apparently we have to do something before we open a bottle. Uh, anyone in that area knows what I'm talking about. Uh, go ahead and explain it for the people not in the area. So it's a stupid superstition with uh, with people around here. So if, if we're a group of people, let's just say we're at a party. And let's just say I come by and I bring a bottle of whatever alcohol. Everybody has to tap the bottle for good luck, even if you're not drinking. You do not open the bottle until everybody touches it. It's something that has been done since before, uh, you know, before. Land before even, time. Or, or, or even before I was even really allowed to actually purchase alcohol legally. <laughs> um, but it's something that, that continues. And, and, and if you go into it's not something that happens all the time because most of the time that that happens, people just like bring the bottles in. But you catch yourself in certain places where somebody will walk through and say, you got to tap the bottle, bro. And that'll take me back to, to a younger time. And it, it's so funny that you sent me that because it's 100% dead on. So if I pull up to the crib or I, I shouldn't say if, I should say when, when I pull when, up to the crib. Um, and I bring a bottle of wine because that's yep. what my guy Jay is going to want. I pull up with a bottle of wine. You got to tap it like wine counts as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't really think it does because back in the day when we were doing it, the liquor selections weren't as fine. We weren't drinking wine at that time. It would be basically what everybody had money to scrape together to get. But uh, you mm-hmm. could do it with wine. It's just that's something I've never seen done because the people that actually did it, they never really drank wine. And we're talking about tapping a bottle of like cognac or or vodka or something like that whatever again whatever everybody could scrape together because this is uh like you said the land before time type stuff (laughs) yeah yeah that so bottle of hennessy which is the stuff i prefer to stay away from Uh um but if i am gonna you know go drinking with somebody in the new jersey area i would hope that it would be george kittle and that brings me to this question i want to ask you is george kittle the biggest 49ers icon I'm talking about like current state uh, on the 49ers not became an icon after the 49ers uh just let's say after they retired or moved on to a different team is he the biggest like icon the 49ers have had on their current roster since who I mean, that's a really good question. You know, the only other person that I could think that has such love in the fan base that is not on the roster is Frank Gore. But here's the difference. George Kittle is more mainstream, tight end university yep. all over the place. Bud Light Seltzer, he's he's known across the country. For 49er fans, we hold Frank really close. But I don't think that the mainstream holds Frank the way that we do in that esteem. When it comes to George Kittle, he's crossed over. He's doing more for the tight end position than anybody's ever done when you think about it, tight end university has all these tight ends coming together. Uh, Nike, uh, you know, Bud Light Seltzer, all of these things. George Kittle's crossed over and he's an icon right now. So I, I, w- I would be hard pressed to find somebody right now uh, or recently that has had the impact uh, as far as as far as mainstream goes uh, like George Kittle. He's just a guy that everyone holds to a high standard, like a high place. I've never really heard anyone say 
oh, that George Kittle guy, I don't like him. I can't stand him. He's annoying. I haven't heard that. I really have. I've had Seahawks, you know, buddies with mine that say I've worked with them or just cross paths with someone that's a Seahawks fan. And they, all of them, 10 out of 10. Man, if I could have one player on the Seahawks that's a 49er, it's George Kittle. So everybody holds this guy to such a high standard. And the person that comes to mind for me is probably Jerry Rice. Everybody wanted Jerry Rice on their team. He was beloved by literally all 31 other teams. Uh, well, I what should I say? 30 other teams because the Houston Texans weren't around yet. Um, and there was just no bad word you could really say about Jerry Rice, similar to George Kittle. Um, I would throw Kaepernick in that mix, but only more so, say, once his playing days were over. Uh, when he was his last year with the 49ers, he was on the rise. Like he was, he was an icon in, in my personal mind, but that more so took over once his football career ended, uh, un- which it unfortunately ended too early. Uh, that's only reason why I would kind of go Jerry Rice before Kaepernick. And you've talked about it. The one year of Dion. Ooh, talk about icon like that. That guy's person- middle... Like that's in his name somewhere. Like his second right, that, middle name is Icon. That's the person that I was really thinking about. But again, it's only one year. But Dion, I'm talking about like flashy, everybody knows type thing. And I, that's the mm-hmm. first person I thought of, which was Dion. So that's actually really, really good. That's a good answer because, you know, Dion, uh, Dion was an icon. And and uh, not only so, it's one thing to be an icon because you're a fun guy or a fun player or you do fun things. He was the best. He's the best of all time. And that's uh, right. that's kind of where I'm at with this. So I mean, it's only been one year of that, but right now, uh, right now, it's it's hard for me to even put him over George Kittle at this point, just because Kittle's been here so much longer. And I think, I think mm-hmm. 49er fans and the mainstream they really love the story of Kittle, right? Uh, fifth round pick, guy from Iowa who just burst on the scene, broke the tight end record. Um, and like I said, he's doing more for the tight end position than anybody's ever done, ever. And and now tight ends right. get more love ever because of him, because of Kelsey, those guys. So, um, and and George Kittle's just a fun guy. You know, we all we all know that the NFL stands for no fun league. Uh, that's not the case <laughs> with George Kittle uh, out there. So I think that's another thing that people gravitate to. Yeah, I've noticed they even have the the running back room talking. I I think it was uh, uh what's his name, CJ Two K, uh, formerly of the Tennessee Titans, uh talking about oh the running backs need to get more love blah 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 talking about because george kittle's like really making it known to about the the pay rate for the tight ends and i think what you said with with dion and kittle being the best at what they do is is spot on like george kittle reset the tight end market and dion reset the cornerback market as terms as what they make on on a team salary cap um so, yeah, those, those two guys, definitely icons. Jerry Rice, definitely icons. Um, you know, obviously you have your Joe Montanas and, and and your Steve Youngs, but we're talking about someone that's vocal, someone that's active, someone that's just literally every page that you can have on Instagram. You know, Joe Montana, Steve Young, I don't know if some of you guys know, but they didn't have Instagram back in the day. Uh, but, but So George Kittle's face is all over the place. You know, and, and like you said, the story, I, I previously got lucky enough to have like beers with Joe Staley for a few hours and I try to buy him beers. He didn't allow me. That's where I want to be with George Kittle one day. George Kittle seems like the type of guy to where similar to Joe Staley, you're 
like your ribs are going to hurt from just laughing with that conversation the whole entire time. So if there's one current 49er that I want to have some beers with, it's absolutely George Kittle. And, you know, he's an icon. How would you not? Easily. Easily. You know, and then you see him doing stuff that's fun, like uh, going back to an Iowa basketball game and chugging, chugging mm-hmm. a beer, you know, like that. That's the type of stuff that people look at because it's like, yeah, you're a millionaire. Yeah, you play one of you play the best sport in the world, in my opinion, and mm-hmm. you're a regular guy. And and I think that's what people really like. Yeah. And, you know, that, that was fun. I, I like having those conversations with you because, uh, you know, something Jamar T- Taylor tells me, uh, he recently had his camp in, in San Diego and he had George Kittle and, and Bobby Wagner participate in his camp. And I'm like, oh, my God, dude, like you have these guys participating for you. That's huge. It's like dog yeah. stop. Like we're normal people. All right. <laughs> he was like, we're regular people. So uh, George Kittle, I, I a lot of us see him in that regular person spotlight but in, in a r- more real conversation that people have been talking about a lot and i want your opinion on this buy or sell Nikhil harry for a day three draft pick how could you not buy that i mean i understand the the concerns he can't separate uh he gets hurt a lot and things like that but a six round pick is nothing six round picks end up being nothing when you usually you mm-hmm. know if you hit on a six round pick it's luck that's not something that you're you're not going into your draft saying man i can't wait to get to that six round pick because that's where the value is no most of the time you're either taking a shot on somebody who's either injured like that who you think can you can turn around or or developmental project why wouldn't you take a chance on a guy that led you to Brandon Ayuk when you when you scouted and kill Harry um and and look yeah he's having trouble separating in New England that's fine but I would counter argue that with Kyle Shanahan knows how to get guys open and and there's been plenty of people who haven't been able to exactly separate uh you know by themselves and Kyle Shanahan is going to find a way to get it done so I mean honestly for a six-round pick that's too easy that's too like mm-hmm. it, send him send it over and, and if anything higher than that a third or fourth that that's out of the range but a six six round conditional I believe is what they're looking for that really seems easy to me and especially when you can reap uh big benefits from it if he uh does come around so I I like the thought of Richie James Jr. You know, he did have the 182-yard game against the Packers. Virtually, he was the only receiver on the team, so that set that up on a tee. But I look at his route running. I don't know if you feel the same way. It's not really Chris. It doesn't really lean to a Shanahan uh, prototype wide receiver. Um, He's not very twitchy when he runs his routes. Everything's just, you know, at a curve or it's on a screen to set up open space for Richie James or it's just doing a doing a wheel route like he did week one against Tampa Bay where Jimmy hit him on the first touchdown of the season. But I think Nikhil Harry could be a, a whole lot better than that. And I say that more so as, okay, well, if Richie James Jr. ain't really the route runner that Shanahan's going to want and they're not very crisp. Why can't Nikhil carry Nikhil Harry? Wow, I'm butchering names here. Why can't Harry, you know, get open in the Shanahan offense and create separation? If he's doing that for for these other guys like River Craycraft on on a post corner, unfortunately the ball rolled out of his hands. But and dying by Nick Mullins, I get the we Nick's, have Nick's to celebrate. Yeah, we have to celebrate every you know best throw by Nick Mullins or. NFL throw by Nick Mullins because there was a lot that weren't. Uh, so if he's doing that with these guys, why can't he do that with Nikhil Harry and and get, say, 
we're, we're looking at a wide receiver three, 500 yards from him. It's not like the 49ers are trading for Nikhil Harry to get me 800, 900, 1,000 yards. We're talking about 500 yards, third down conversions, red zone appearance that he says he wants to be per his agent. Um, I, I think that's where the thought of Nikhil Harry, it's let's put the bar at a, at a more realistic projection of if the 49ers traded him and he was on this team rather than setting that bar high. Like if the 49ers gave up a day two pick for the guy. So you're expecting 750 yards. No, if you're giving up a day three pick for a guy this young on a rookie contract, you're not expecting 750 yards. Uh, if, if it happens, this team turned into an aired out team or someone got injured, unfortunately, which I probably don't want either of those things to happen. Uh, as much as I would love an air it out offense, it doesn't really bode well for time of possession, defense staying fresh, defense being ready. Um, so you do need that running game out there. Uh, we, we saw too much with Chip Kelly's offense. It, what happens when your defense gets exposed? What did DeForest Buckner have over a thousand snaps as a rookie or, or a second year, which is completely insane. Um, but then I don't know. Uh, Tell talk to me about the benefits of not giving up a six round pick on the kill Harry and getting someone, or you could also talk to me about the downside of getting someone in the draft that late. So now you have four years uh, of service time compared to just two. Well, I'd compare it to Juwan Jennings. He was a six round pick and he wasn't even on the team last year. And it was a lot of his issue was, is he couldn't separate. That's, that's what they said. You know, now all accounts out of camp this year are that he's much better. But I think that again, speaks to my point about six round picks being developmental people, people you're taking a shot on anyway. You know, we already know this is well documented that the 49ers were in on and kill Harry. They went and they scouted him. And that means that they really enjoyed something about his game. So and you and we also know that when Kyle Shanahan gets it in his head about a guy, he gets tunnel vision. You know, I kind of brought this up in a tweet. I don't want to really get too many people upset, but Jalen Hurd got drafted with Terry McLaurin on the board. Now, uh. We can tell right now in year three that that wasn't the right pick at, at this point. Terry McLaurin is better than Jalen Hurt. You know why? Terry McLaurin plays. But again, that speaks to, at times, Kyle Shanahan gets tunnel vision. Instead of seeing the big picture, he's like, man, I, I love what I could do with this guy. You miss on, on, on Terry McLaurin, who obviously with the quarterback play would have done the same exact thing that he did over there in Washington because Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, Alex Smith, those were his quarterbacks. So, um, Kyle usually has tunnel vision when it comes to guys. So, and Kill Harry, somebody that they did identify that they really liked. It doesn't make sense for you not to take a shot right there on him in the sixth round. This is a, a guy who was drafted in the first round, has actually played at the level at, at this level. He's caught a few touchdown passes from Tom Brady, so it's not like he's never played before. So, I, mm-hmm. if if anybody can get anything out of him, it's Kyle Shanahan. But the separation is the is the biggest concern in my opinion, um, and and pretty much everybody's opinion. That's probably the only downside. Is like, okay, you get rid of a six round pick, it's not really going to burn you. But if Inkel Harry just continues to be what he is then, you know, then you're kind of wasting your time. But I don't see why you wouldn't try to give a shot at it and see uh, see what you can get from him, at least for a season, because then it's either, you know, you just straight up cut him. I think I think his guaranteed money is like a drop in the bucket of like, like a million something. Um, that's it. And for this year and next year. So it's not even like it's cost effective. It's not like, like it's too much money or anything like that, or the cost is too great. So all of these things, when you add them up, it actually makes a lot of sense for you to give a shot and kick a tire on them. I mean, if we're kicking tires on Muhammad Sanu and, and other players, I understand Muhammad Sanu has been in this offense and, and understands it. 
But come on, you know, and kill Harry, you know, you got to give him a shot as well, too, especially when you look at some of the wide receiver three candidates on this team, like Austin Watkins. We love Austin Watkins, but he was undrafted. He would have. And if he would have been drafted, it would have been a six round pick in the same way. And it seems to me like from all accounts so far, he's probably going to be a developmental pick. So that's that's the thing. When you when you weigh the cost of the six round pick to what you can get out of and kill Harry, I, I really don't see too much of a downside. But there is a little bit of a downside when you look at it like that. Yeah. And it's also if you get in a guy like this, who is he going to block? Is there any day two picks that he's going to block to not make the roster? Probably not. And if the 49ers paid Trent Sherfield's pretty good money for a special team, or pretty good money. So are they going to hold two special team wide receivers on, on the 53? And I'm talking about Richie James Jr. and Trent Sherfield. I don't, I don't know. Would you rather get a more so a true wide receiver than hold two of those guys? Uh, I, there's no one really that is going to make you say, uh, we can't trade for him because then this guy is basically going to get cut. If Jalen Hurd is healthy, he's absolutely making the roster. Uh, River Craycraft, mm, he's borderline he guy. He, he's got to show out in camp for me. Uh, but even if they get Nikhil Harry, I don't think that changes his, his projection of the team. Mm-hmm. I don't so, think so either. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and I look at Nikhil Harry's hands. Because uh, that that's very very you know big part of it at least for me uh, that's kind of why I transitioned to a corner in my playing career because my drop percentage came a little too high when I went to college. Uh, Nikhil Harry last season with the New England Patriots had a one point eight drop percentage. We're talking about a one point eight. Who can I put that in comp- comparisons with? Debo Samuel, which Debo Samuel somewhere going to be you know eight percent range. So he's about an eighth of that. Uh, yeah, so he's a reliable guy that you could use a, as a piece to be that Kendrick Bourne role, unless it's Mohamed Sanu that you have your heart sold out on, which according to social media, he's looking like a different Mohamed Sanu, not the one the 49ers had last year that was, uh, by reports, injured. And that's kind of why he didn't stay on the roster. Yeah, and, and we know, and here's the thing, we know what Muhammad Sanu can do. Um, I don't think that he's going to be able to duplicate any of the stuff that he did in Atlanta. You just know that he knows the system, he's solid, and, and I like guys with a track record, so I understand that portion. It's just, when you talk about upside, or at least uh, unlocking something else, and Inkyo Harry has it. One more thing I wanted to say about Inkyo Harry is the the propensity to not want to go over the middle. So he got knocked out of the 49ers game uh, by Tarverius Moore, if I'm not mistaken, and uh He's been pretty vocal about uh, concussions and being uh, at the forefront for, you know, CTE and stuff like that. So nothing wrong with that. But I know that that it concerns him, obviously, going over the middle and taking big hits. So, you know, you alligator arm one throw over the middle ends up being an interception, stuff like that. So that's all part of his game. That's all part of the negatives that he has going up against him right now. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I don't know if we're building the case or if we're building the case against him. But these are all things that need to be taken into account. If you're talking about a guy who they regarded very highly and was taken in the first round, and you can get it, get him for a six round pick, I'm with it all day long. And and you wanna you wanna go kick the tires on that. And if we're kicking the tires on, you know, Marquise Lee was brought in. Um, you know, and you look right. at the hodgepodge, you look at the hodgepodge of wide receiver three options, right? It, it, it seems to me it's going to be a committee. There's not going to be one man who's going to take it all over. It's going to be either one, whoever's the healthiest or two, whoever's the most productive. So uh, why wouldn't you want to throw somebody in there like that? Like an NKO Harry, who was taken in the first round, six, six round is an easy investment that, I mean, I, if, if I would have heard that, I would have made the call right away and just sent them over there. And it's fair. 
when mentioning Mohamed Sanu, he's definitely reached the climax of his career. Uh, so it's what can you really unlock that we haven't seen yet? Probably nothing, to be fair. Quarterback. Uh, nothing against him. Court, quarterback from the Wildcat? Are we doing that again? Are we doing that oh. again? Yeah, we might be with Mohamed Sanu. He's the best quarterback in Atlanta Falcons history. <laughs> uh, perfect Sanu from the Wildcat. Perfect passer rating. Go look it up. That's the real stat. The reason why Jason and I you know, laugh so much on that is because if you Google Jarek McKinnon from the Wildcat, <laughs> what pops up on Google Images? It, it's me and and uh, and Andrew talking about it in a in our YouTube video. So our meme made it to Google. But yeah, you know, anytime, uh, anytime anybody goes to the Wildcat, anytime Jarek McKinnon is brought up, um, it always ends up with that joke. You got to stick with the bit, man, even if he's not with the team anymore. I, I can't wait to see him run it in Kansas City so people can tag me. That, that's that's the best <laughs> part of my day. Like whenever any McKinnon comes up, people are just like tagging me like, oh, look, Jay, here's your guy. <laughs> it's yeah. just become such a joke at this point that it's like if you don't laugh, you're going to cry. You're unfinancially invested in the rest of Jared McKinnon's career. Yeah, it, just, got my hands, just got my hands on his jersey. <laughs> <laughs> So we talked about Manu, Manu, wow, Mohamed Sanu reaching the, the climax of his playing career. Let's talk about someone who hasn't yet. Mm. Brandon Ayuk and NFL.com predicted in an, in an article where they wrote a first-time potential player for every team. And the, the 49ers selection that they made was Brandon Ayuk being a first-time pro bowler representing the 49ers that he would be their potential first-time pro bowler. Do you agree with that statement or do you have somebody else in mind that you would say this guy would be a first-time pro bowler? So there's three guys that I think on this team that could make their first pro bowl, but Brandon Ayuk on offense is obviously the one that you should be looking at. You have to look at in limited time, how well he, he, he played and, and, and the, the confidence that was given off, right? With Debo Samuel, it took him a little while to hit the ground running when he first got mm-hmm. there. And with Brandon Ayuk showed up the first day, you know, the first game against the giants, I'm the man that or the jets. He played against the jets, played against the giants. I'm the man. He had that sort of confidence and he, and he, was like baking really good cornerbacks in his first year. You know, I know that a lot of people, some people, not a lot of people, some people are hesitant to get on board with that because they feel like they've been tricked with the Dante Pettis thing. I would argue that this is something different than what Dante Pettis was doing. A lot of those things, a lot of those games and stats that he was putting up were uh, in blowouts, especially that Seattle game. Like they were getting like boat raced and and he put up, what is it? Like two tutties and like 160 yards. And one of them was like a long 80 yarder, but the game was well in hand. Brendan Ayuk yeah. was playing in pressure situations. You could tell that he, he really is the man on the other side of the ball. Um, and we're going to talk about him in a little bit, but I really think that as long as Jaquaski Tar has a chance to be on the field, 17 games, he has a shot to make a pro bowl and Jimmy Ward. Uh, um, I think this is the year based on everything that's going on, the based on his new little tour. And I will, we'll get to that in a little bit. His new, uh, his new personality that is shining through a lot more seems to be a guy who is super confident overall, the injury stuff and people are starting to take notice as to what he can do. So Jimmy Ward, Jaquaski Tart and Brendan Ayuk all have a shot in my eyes to uh, be, be in their first pro bowl this year. Tart's a really good one. I think those those safeties in general is really good one. Uh, Brandon Ayuk definitely has that potential. Like this, this guy's a star, and getting him more consistent quarterback play. Like 
there's a difference when talking about George Kittle and, and his record-breaking year with a guy like Nick Mullins at the quarterback, and he didn't have consistent quarterback play. All right, let's keep in mind, George Kittle's routes and, and the depth of the route is going to be nowhere near the route tree that Brandon Ayuk is working. It, it's more so of a progressed, uh, a higher difficult throw than what George Kittle's doing. George Kittle, you know, was doing just very, it's a shorter distance to the quarterback. They're not comparable when you're discussing the route tree from a tight end to a wide receiver, especially the wide receiver that Brandon Hayuk is. So thinking that George Kittle had that historic year compared to Brandon Ayuk saying, oh, Brandon Ayuk could still do it. No, it's very difficult. Only one wide receiver in recent mind has done it with not so great quarterbacks, and that's DeAndre Hopkins, which he's regarded as the best receiver top three undebatable in the NFL. So expecting, oh, well, Brandon Ayuk should be able to do that in what his rookie year or year two. Just it seems a little unrealistic. That's that's the the take of the show is I'm saying unrealistic in every single topic so far um but i would probably say jimmy ward this this new energy that we're seeing from him i think that's gonna feed out onto the field and it's also what is it doing putting himself in headlines when you when your name is headlines and it comes to the point where you have the fan votes who are they gonna typically vote for the guy that's having a hell of a year plus the guy with the name now that Jimmy Ward is, you know, basically in, in being the centerfold of 49ers offseason that he has been, one week it was a tight end can't get nothing on me, uh, nothing over 50 on me, only George Kittle, but he's on my team, so that's not going to happen this year. And then the next week he goes on Grant Cohn's show and, and basically backs up everything that he's saying. And then I think the week before or a couple days before that, he was on with Brad Graham of the SF Niners that's been on this show a couple times talking about the DeAndre Hopkins fight that, that got surfaced around the Internet as well. So it's this guy's getting a headline for himself. His plays always, you know, the past two years has been fantastic regardless. He's been a top safety in his play the past two years. And how I look at it is Pro Bowl rosters, they have four wide receivers as well as three safeties. The wide receivers, it's going to be very, very competitive, which it's usually numbers-based. Like Brandon IU can have a Pro Bowl year, but could only surface just over 1,000 yards and not a crazy amount of touchdowns. Yet, he's going to be going against guys like Devontae Adams, who's probably just lock him in for 1,300 yards. Justin Jefferson, lock him in for 1,300 yards. DK Metcalf, you know, Wilson's going to throw those rainbow rainbow balls that are going to drop in the bucket, 1,300 yards. And, Mike Evans. And DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Evans. Mike Evans is going to have the touchdowns every year. He may not have 1,300 yards, but the guy's going to put up 12 touchdowns. First player to ever have seven straight 1,000-yard seasons, and nobody ever knows that about Mike Evans. He just goes about his business. One more thing I wanted to say about Brandon Ayuk real quick, because I'm citing um, Reception Perception by Matt Harmon, um, and he charts uh, routes run, success by routes. Um, what I wanted to talk about is success rate versus coverage. So this is another thing that let, leads you to believe that Brandon Ayuk is on a trajectory to start him. Um, at, he ran 40% of his routes against man for a 75.7% um, success rate, which is 88 percentile. That's actually really good. It's the higher the percentile for the people that don't know is where you want to be you don't want to be in the first percentile you want to be in the 99th um and then against press 23.4 percent of his routes 
77.6% success rate, which is even higher. That's 86th percentile for a rookie who played on the outside 78.9% of the time with very little, uh, what's the word? There's other receivers to distract that he didn't really have that. Uh, that's that's another reason why, you know, it, it, it isn't realistic to say that Brandon Ayuk is going to make a, a Pro Bowl. You're right about that because you just labeled all of these great receivers. It's a beautiful time in this league where there are so many amazing receivers. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing with the Pro Bowl. He could get in, somebody gets hurt, somebody makes a Super Bowl that he can't play. Yep. Those, those are the type of things that he'll probably get in on. But um, he could, like you said, he could totally have a Pro Bowl season and not be named to the roster. So it, if it's whether he makes the roster or has a Pro Bowl type season, then those are two different answers probably won't make the roster but probably will have a pro bowl like season and that those are those can both be true yeah and i think it could be true that he could have that type of season with either quarterback this year you you get a a 17 game jimmy garoppolo i think you get a a pro bowl season from brandon iu whether he makes the roster or not like you stated you know different different conversation um and if he has trey lance for 17 games or less than that, I think he has a Pro Bowl season as well. Uh, he He's just that guy to where when you call his number, you know it's going to be reliable production. You know it's going to be reliable. Um, but then the other guy we talked about, Jimmy Ward, now that he's had a home, you know it's been a reliable pr- uh, production from him as well. And with Sean McVay, he he talked about this on Grant Cohn's podcast on YouTube that he doesn't understand why Sean McVay keeps challenging him. It's so funny because we talk about Sean McVay like recently a lot because of the whole Shanahan interview uh, with Sean McVay. And now Jimmy Ward brings him up talking about, I don't know why he continues to challenge me. I beat him every time. Uh, it, it must be a flaw in his offense. Like, why do you think that Sean McVay keeps challenging Jimmy Ward per Jimmy Ward on that? Because he's sleeping on him. And he thinks that, you know, because he's a safety that you usually get the better of those guys, especially in the slot. But in 2019, I forget it was at the end of the game, that that first Rams game, Jimmy Ward erased two back to back plays, third and fourth down uh, yep. with Higby. I think it was. He had to cover first. He had to cover Jabril Everett, which is a tight end. Then he had to cover Cooper Cup, which that's all the more impressive because that's a wide receiver and Cooper Cup is shifty in short spaces. But he never seems to do anything against the 49ers. I don't know. I, I, I maybe Sean McVay has this this portion of his brain that just says he's a safety. It's fine. Keep going at him. But if you keep watching, nothing happens. He was playing on the outside in last year's game in which Nick Mullins beat them in L.A. and he was locking up Robert Woods. And and that's you know that's something that. That flexibility is something that nobody else has, especially from the safety position. So it's a good question why he does. I don't know why he does. He shouldn't, but he does. And Jimmy knows that. But uh, but I think it's more because Sean McVay probably is going off of that old adage of, like, safeties can't cover like that. And uh, Jimmy Ward continues to prove him wrong, but he still doesn't adjust. I mean, that was a, a major thing that people said about Sean McVay in the beginning, about him not being able to adjust. And uh, I don't know. seems like uh, in certain ways he still hasn't gotten over that. I think we talked about Jimmy Ward now becoming this household name, uh, at least surfacing on the internet. I guarantee you, Los Angeles Rams, at least from 2019, know who the hell Jimmy Ward is. Mm-hmm. He he had those two beautiful, beautiful pass deflections that you were talking about uh, in that first matchup. Uh, week five, or excuse me, week six, game five of 2019, if you want to go ahead and, and rewatch that. And see the amazing game that he played 
and then week 15. It didn't seem like Sean McVay really targeted him at all, at all that, that game. And then last year, it's two forced fumbles after whole 49ers internet. It's like, ah, I love Jimmy Ward, but he doesn't turn over the ball. Oh, here goes two. Uh, same game. Uh, the guy, anything you ask from him, he's a stud. But I think the reason why is they ha- Jimmy Ward lines up anywhere. Mm-hmm. Anywhere. So when you have a player with that capability, it could ruin the, the dynamic of the offense. Because, you know, the last play, Jimmy Ward was playing high safety. What if he's in the blocks on your slot receipt or say in the slot on, on Cooper Cup? For that matter, you thought Jimmy Ward was going to be at high safety, but yet now Cooper Cup's your hot read. So you got to go against Jimmy Ward. That's why you see guys like Tyron Matthew consistently making plays. Jimmy Ward consistently making plays during games is because these guys line up all over compared to Richard Sherman's first year with the 49ers in 2018. The guy never got targeted because he stayed on the same side of the field. The offense knew exactly where he was, so they targeted the defense in other areas based on his coverage uh with jimmy ward you can't do that you don't know where the guys are going to be and i think that's why he feels like he's getting tested so often and it's not like jared goff is peyton manning to audible it out of it or it has the functionality to okay let me not go again jimmy ward here's this favorite matchup i'm gonna audible this play so that this guy's my hot read and the offensive line knows where I'm going. Everybody, you know, is together. Jared Goff, as that video says, you're not that guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's you're funny? Not- <laughs> what, you, what people forget, too, is is in that last Rams game, um, Verrett and Sherman played. So now you're Jared Goff. Even if you think what you think about Richard Sherman, you look at one side, you know that Jason Verrett's balling because he showed you in the first game that you played. He yep. had a massive impact in that game. And then you remember that Richard Sherman had an interception in this game. And he's still that guy when it comes to the brain, when it's Richard Sherman. So mm-hmm. you got to go against either Sherm, Verrett, or Jimmy Ward with your best slot receiver. Uh, I mean, it's not it's not what you want, but at a certain point, you know, I you got to go against somebody. Sherm, Sherm's going to blanket whatever it is as long as you don't get behind him. But Robert Woods doesn't offer that, so that's not going to happen. Um, so you don't really like that. You know Jason Verrett's locking up whoever's on the other side. Now Jimmy Ward is going against you. This is probably your best chance to make a play because it is a short area and it's hard to cover those guys. But Jimmy Ward is locking that up. So it really comes down to pick your poison. And I think that's uh, that's what people will never understand about Jimmy Ward not creating turnovers. It's about making people do things that they're uncomfortable with because of what he offers you. And where he's slotted most of the time, they never throw the ball that way to him. They never go up towards him. That's why he never has a chance to make interceptions. The only game that I really know that he got the ball on his hands, the Saints game, he dropped that interception. He'll probably tell you 10 out of 10 times he's got to make that play. But that's why he's a defensive back and not a wide receiver. So it's really a little bit overstated when it came to that. But I feel like the narrative really changed on Jimmy Ward once Richard Sherman got over to PFF. It's almost like he yelled at those guys and said, stop, you know, like, can you take a look? And 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 can you, like, really, like, and then all of a sudden, when Sherman gets, gets over there and does a podcast with Chris Collinsworth, all of a sudden the narrative shifts. So I don't know if I'm really throwing dirt on PFF, but those are the facts. Those are the things that have been happening. If you notice his grades, take a look at the data Richard Sherman showed up and then sh- start to see where his grades start to go. His grades start to go up and up and up. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot to it, but uh, but again, that's how good Jimmy Ward is. Is he makes you he makes you uncomfortable and he says, "Okay, well, I'm going to try to pick on you." Well, no, you can't. You can't pick on him either. Not as a 49ers fan, as a as a guy that just 
enjoys football, especially from a coverage aspect, since I play the corner position myself, when you said Richard Sherman, Jason Brett, and Jimmy Ward in the slot, I got chills. I was like, damn, that sounds dirty. That just sounds yeah. dirty. And then when Fred Warner, Fred Warner in the middle of the field. Oh my God. Like that, that's why they were so good. Even without that pass rush is because the guys they had on that team. And then when Richard Sherman wasn't there and you had Akilah Witherspoon, those final four games, it was kind of the same theme because Akilah was balling out as well. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I love seeing great cover guys within the secondary, especially someone like Jimmy Ward, who, who could just line up all over and, and do things that other guys can't. Like, even if I go play in an adult flag football league, I'll go lock someone down at corner. But having the anticipation you need at free safety is a whole different beast than than playing man-to-man at corner. It's a whole different beast because you your timing's got to be on point. That's why we haven't seen too many special safeties like Earl Thomas come in and come out of this league playing that high safety. And Jimmy Ward is a smart player to where he can do that. He just has doesn't have the interception numbers to back it up. And teams don't really target him because he didn't bait it as much as, as, as Earl Thomas. And I think that's what made Earl Thomas so special is he would bait the quarterback and then still at least get his hand on the ball. But, I ain't gonna. I ain't gonna reward Earl Thomas, so I'm done talking about him. <laughs> well, one you, more thing I wanted to point out real quick um, from that second Rams game, the second fourth fumble. If you watch it, if you watch it from the all twenty two um, angle, for anybody who has Game Pass, what you're gonna see is you're gonna see everybody else in man, but Jimmy Ward almost like the Red Sea parts, and he almost starts like walking to the line, knowing. And as soon as Jared Goff takes off with the ball, he's the only one in the area, and and he he was able to knock that out right away. So again, it's about recognition. It's about understanding at that position, understanding what you're seeing. And once you see something, once you see the quarterback start to move, once he passes the line of scrimmage, that's it. It's yours. And and, and Jimmy was yeah. already moving towards that. So um, it's all about instincts, and I think that uh, that's some of the stuff that gets lost. And uh, I implore anybody who uh, – who can to check that play out because I was really impressed with the way that he, it just, it was confidence. It was just straight confidence. Everybody's going in different directions. He's the high safety. He takes a few steps up and boom, he's already in the middle of the field and he strips uh, Jared Goff and turns the ball over in a big way. So just instincts, man. Yeah. Like how Tyron Matthew gets celebrated in this league for, you know, being uh, a utility man in a secondary, I guess we could say. I want Jimmy Ward to get some of that love now to be that utility man in the secondary because he is a hell of a player. And Jason, you're what co-founder of Only Shans, correct? Co-founder, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I I feel like you're gonna lean a certain way on, on this question. If you can, we're gonna stay on on, on the Sean McVay mm-hmm. page here since since you know Sean McVay is just you know putting himself in the Forty ers media the past few weeks if you could have one coach whether it's sean mcveigh or hashtag only chance kyle shanahan for the next five years we understand mcveigh has matthew stafford who i think is going to make a name for himself now that he has a really good roster and a really good coach as well as kyle shanahan who has a win now quarterback with basically two win now quarterbacks with jimmy g and trey lance but you know once he does turn the chapter on Jimmy G, he has Trey Lance there. I'm going five years instead of ten years because I don't know how many how many years Stafford has in the league. So next five years, who are you taking? Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan? 
Kawa Trey. Uh, Kawa Trey for five years because you're not going to have to pay him until that fifth-year option anyway. You know, um, not, nothing against Matthew Stafford. He's 33 years old. That means he'll be 38 in five years. I, I just don't have a feeling that Sean McVay is going to be in uh, L.A. for too much longer. They, they've sent so many draft picks, early draft picks, that they really don't have many coming up. And that's really like pushing the, the chips to the middle of the table saying, I want to win a Super Bowl now. And I think that he really wants to get that Super Bowl, get it done with. And, and I don't even know if he really wants to stay there for that much longer. We'll see how that plays out. But, you know, Kyle and Trey together, I think that's something that's unseen. And I think that's something that everybody's excited for. And that's the reason that Trey and Jimmy be, be – continue to be the talking point and the reason that people were so excited when Trey was picked because no quarterback fell into a better situation none of them not Mac Jones not Justin Fields not Trevor Lawrence not Zach Wilson none of them fell into a better situation than Trey Lance because of Kyle Shanahan and then when people compare what was done with RG3 in one year with what they can do with Trey Lance who is bigger maybe faster maybe have a better arm uh that's the stuff that gets people excited there is a little bit of of I guess, breadcrumbs as to what could be coming when you look at that first year with RG3 because that wasn't his pick, and he still grafted his his, his uh, playbook to him, and, and he won Offensive Rookie of the Year. Now imagine Kyle Shanahan got the guy that he really, really liked, apparently, and now he can open up that playbook even more. Uh, give, me, uh, give me the unknown factor and unknown ceiling of Kyle Shanahan and Trey Lance. I'm always forever going to p- pair – the Trey Lance and Kyle Shanahan duo with what his father had in Steve Young and John Elway. And what I relate that into is they could throw the ball all, all three levels down the field. They could, you know, do it from play action. Oh, and you need them to pick up a 39 with their legs. All three of those guys can do that as well. So that that's kind of why I include them together. Uh, based on the way I'm talking here, it's, uh, yes, I'm taking Kyle Shanahan. I, I I want that unknown factor. I just think there's so much that Kyle Shanahan can do with Trey Lance that we haven't seen him do with any quarterback. Because I don't think RG3 is the pure passer that Trey Lance expects to be in the NFL. Um, and but with Sean McVay, I think the guy has a very hard time to adjust. I, I And I just say that because you look at his matchups against really, really good defensive coordinators. And we've seen the Rams get single digits in how many of those games yet. I I get it. It's Jared Goff. It's not Matthew Stafford. I completely understand. Um, But Kyle Shanahan very rarely gets held to single digits with Nick Mullins, CJ Beathard, which are by far lower uh, of the scale in quarterbacks in regards to what Jared Goff is. So I, I just trust what Kyle Shanahan can do, you know, and, and the NFL game is based off of points. That's that's the win-loss record. Breaking news here. Win-loss, <laughs> they get decided by points. And that's I how just you win trust, games? That's how you win games. Yes, yeah, score more points than the other team. Yards yards don't win you games. They don't. Wow. And – so if if I have one coach that I trust more than the other on who's going to put up the points, uh, I I think it's Kyle Shanahan. I I think he is better at that um, than what Sean McVay is. And I'm going to say it now. I think Sean McVay ends up in Jacksonville after after the Rams. That's if he leaves the Rams. Jacksonville. Think about it. Urban Myers and he get into some allegations and just quit every single time. Is going to get in some allegations. Just quit call it a health concern he wants to go back to his family stuff like that 
Um, obviously, I hope he has no serious health concern. And that's going to open the door for a new head coach. That new head coach, Sean McVay, Trevor Lawrence. He he loves that that Hollywood vibe Sean McVay does. And what better place than go than recreate that in Jacksonville to be right. you know that you could still have your beach house out there in Jacksonville, uh, you know. And I I think that's that's going to be his spot, his landing spot. Yeah, I won't speculate on where he's going. I just don't think he's going to be there for too much longer. It's it's. It's ripping your roster apart and your chances to rebuild it year after year later on down the line. That kind of gives me the tip that he's like, I don't care about a first round pick not being here in three years because I'm gonna be up out of here. If he wins a super, <laughs> if he if he wins a Super Bowl, he he's he's gonna like definitely either just quit or they're they're gonna have to think of something because you can't keep all those guys. You know, you you're gonna have to either just keep restocking in free agency. Who knows if they'll be able to do that? For me, it just screams a guy like, let's get this this Super Bowl and let's get out of here. And then you know once he wins his Super Bowl and he, you know, let's say he's on the market, 29, 28 teams will be lining up to go get Sean McVay, you know, like like in that lane. And what I wanted to say about last year is I thought Sean McVay did his best coaching job ever last year in terms of the way that that offense was moving, in terms of the way that he got Jared Goff easy throws at all three levels on bootlegs and stuff like that. Like he was in his bag. And we talked about good defensive coordinators. I point to the Monday Night Football game against the Bucks. If you watch that first drive that the Rams had, they ran the same play three different times. Like, you know, if you ever watch, if you ever played Madden and you hit flip, you hit the flip play and it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. He literally, he ran it one way with cup, hit it, ran it the other mm-hmm. way with cup, hit it. He ran it back the other way with cup and hit it again. And it was like, they were going down the field. That's Todd Bowles. That's the guy that, that held yeah. the chiefs down to a really, you know, and they have one of the best defenses in the league. So uh, yes, at times he struggles with adjustments. I feel like Sean McVay last year was in his bag, which is what makes me so afraid for what Matthew Stafford could bring. Because if he is even some sort of increase, like we believe he is, then that offense goes up to another level. The only thing that could really stop them is that they've lost some people on the offensive line. And if Andrew Whitworth even regresses a little that offensive line is in deep, deep trouble. But, uh, you know, you cross that bridge when you get there, uh, you know, and, and McVay doesn't have to hold Stafford's hand. He doesn't have to talk into his mic all the way up to the last 10 seconds. He can just get in his bag and just call plays. It, it's a it's a weight lifted off his shoulders. So that's what that's my fear. It's not like I'm telling you that Matthew Stafford's about to be an MVP candidate. I mean, is that possible? Sure. That's not what I'm predicting, though. I just predict that if Matthew Stafford is what we think he is, then this offense is going to be very tough to stop. Now, while I do believe McVay does struggle at times uh, adjusting, I absolutely do believe he's a top five OC in this league. I just think Kyle's better. Um, and Jason, as the co-founder of Only Shans, uh, there's merch out there if if you want some Only Shans t-shirt. I, I heard Kyle actually wants a Only Shans. You know, someone I can see rocking that 100% to the building, George Kittle. George Kittle. That'd be awesome. I mean, that would be big for the brand. You know, uh, it, it really would. Maybe we should send a shirt over to Kyle. Let's see what he says. See if he likes it. Yeah, just go ahead and, and and send it over there. Just just send like 20 of them. Someone's bound to go wear it. And my guess would be George Kittle. Uh, but Jason, appreciate you hopping on. Go ahead and plug where people can find you as well as listen to some more of you because you are that dude. You are famous. I'm not famous, but thank you, Leo, for having me <laughs> on, man. Uh, I, I enjoyed t- uh, talking football with everybody. So, yeah, follow me on Twitter at JasonAponte2103. Uh, the YouTube channel, Jason Aponte, that's where you'll find most of my content. Sprint Right Option Podcast with the great, 
great co-host, and you know this, Leo, Andrew Pasquini. Yep. Um, you can find that on all streaming platforms, wherever you get your podcasts. But most of the time, I'm on Twitter. So if uh, you want to say hey and uh, you know enjoy some stupid memes that I send, then go for it and follow me on there. But uh, Leo, I appreciate you having me on here, bro. And it's always a blast talking football with you. As always, as always, you know, anytime we can link up, it's it's always a blessing in my book. So as well as you could go ahead and follow me on Twitter and, and let's talk Giants. All right, because I, I'm full throttle with it. Jason's up, you know, punching the air because of his Yankees. <laughs> what and, was that yesterday? Oh, my God. That was the worst. <laughs> that, that was the worst Yankee loss after literally the night before. Garrett Cole did something that I had not seen a Yankee pitcher do in a long, long time. And then literally you follow that up with giving up six runs in the ninth inning to lose and and they still won the series but that the Yankees are pros at losing a game and making it seem like the whole series was lost because that's exactly what it felt yes. like right after that yes I was just seeing the internet go wild and my thoughts were like hey Houston y'all lost the series man chill out they did never but did. I mean it kind of it kind of was a F you back to us so <sighs> God. Yeah, well, they had, what, two days of giving away 2019 merch to the fans, trying to rub it into the Yankees' face. So it's, you know, way to be sincere about it, Houston. Great job. Yeah, uh, and way to skip the All-Star game and make sure that you hop any yep. sort of criticism from players. Yeah, sure, everybody's injured. Yeah, those Houston Astros, it's something else, man. <laughs> as well as you could uh, afford to follow my weekly content that I that I post sometimes on uh 49ers Goldmine on YouTube. So go ahead and just type in 49ers Goldmine on YouTube. You can see some work there as well as Jason Aponte on YouTube as well. I appreciate you guys. Talk to you next week.